This is a Touchstone Publishers presentation, your trusted source of leadership knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Essential Leadership Skills, the podcast. Let's go to part number three today from Ms. Brochet. Now, she is a person who's working hard to get her team of people, her clients, to go beyond emotional intelligence. Let me give you a little bit of history. She is an accomplished healthcare consulting executive with 30 years of experience in the healthcare industry. So we can take that information and move it into our own industries. Now, this includes more than five years of consulting experience involving a vast range of industry matters, especially value-based care, public health, population health, managed care, national and state compliance, government health care programs and policies, quality initiatives, and health information technologies. Let's get after it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode number three with Ms. Brochet. She is an expert that was has made a great difference. If you have not heard the first two episodes, stop right now. Go back and listen to the first two episodes because this episode, we're going to put it all together. But before we do this, I want Ms. Brochet to tell everybody in this audience how to contact her directly. How should they do that? Well, they can go in on LinkedIn and find me there under Virginia Brochet. B-U-R-C-H-E-T-T, or they can contact me through the website, the V. Brochet Consulting website. Um, they can make a note through that, or they, they can reach me through my email, virginia at vbrochetconsulting.com. Okay. Now, I'll be honest with you, Lindsay, this is a very busy person, so she may not be able to take you on as a client or help you in different areas. <laughs> but if you have a question, she might be able to reach out and help you a little bit. So go ahead and just reach out to her. She's she will do her best, but she wouldn't promise, and I wouldn't promise, just because of her workload right now, the amount of clients she has, the way that she can get there. So, like I said, in this episode, though, let's get underway with it. I want to really just see if we can pull this all together. So my first question for coaching for all of us, we have to come together both emotionally as a leader, the EQ, EO, EI thing, and we have to be mm -hmm. centered. And as we talked about in other things, we've got to kind of uh, the broadcast. We have to get rid of the ego at some level. Mm -hmm. What's a true leader in your mind? I think as a person that serves others toward common goals and uh, purpose that's often higher than what people would think. Um, it's not just about providing good technology, for instance, but it's about making that technology make a difference in people's lives. Um, a good leader is someone that can um, motivate and inspire others toward common goals. Um, they're able to put their ego aside and become uh, a servant to other people. Okay. Uh, leadership is open in nature, good leadership. It should be open and it should be continually practicing uh, the skills for being a good leader. So you're, you, you should be a person that's very open to learning yourself and to engaging others in collaboration uh, and exploring um, many ways to change the world for the better. So yeah, I think, I, I hope that made sense. Yes, it does. Because in our <laughs> previous big. broadcast, you, you mentioned a podcast, you mentioned um, you need to find someone that you can mentor with 
-hmm. And uh, we talked about different books and things also. I mean, you can be mentored by different books. I mean, like, for example, uh, some of Richard Branson's work or, you know, just, it doesn't matter. Just some different work. And I think when we talk about learning from different leaders, maybe being mentored through the books or actually getting mentored by you or somebody else, that is huge. I want to ask you, though, about diversity in the workplace. How do we mentor that? Because all of us grew up with our own bias already. Yeah, how do you, how do you inspire that? Well, I, I think um, diversity of thought is important. Diversity of experience. Um, I think there's a fair amount of ageism right now. We yeah. see so many young people needing to move up. You know, we have a whole group of people retiring. And those of us who are sort of in the middle between that happening, uh, we're in the middle trying to get people, you know, into these positions. Um, I think um, diversity is, is uh, taking the whole group and all of their experience and all of their talent and just bringing it to the table. And I think, um, yeah, I think diversity of thought is really important right now. And I mean like diversity in like, how do you look at a problem even? How, are, how do you approach a problem? We all do it differently. Right, right. And right, how right, you right. do that, right? Because like when I work with surgeons, they can be very different and that it's like bullet point, you know, like a process. And then I'll work with someone else that's an IT person and they're, they're looking at how to, how to attack a problem a certain way. Just even the diversity in the way you look at a problem and the way you, 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 um, the way you attack the problem, whether you have an attitude about it, that it's, you know, this is a problem, but this is actually an opportunity. It's not a problem. Uh, all of these kinds of things add to the way that we all work together. So you, you, shouldn't, um, you shouldn't just nail yourself down to like color, you know, like ethnicity, yes, <laughs> you know, yes, yeah, um, yeah. female, male, like try not to be so, yeah, those things are important, but try not to be so, uh, so narrow in that and realize that diversity is, it's, it's literally, it's big. It's the biggest thing we work with actually. I mean, diversity yeah. of thought is really important. So I think we should, we should, um, we should want that. So and we I'm, should foster that. If, if I'm tracking with you, then this diversity means understanding how other people solve problems, how other people handle changes to mm -hmm. solve a problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And changes, that's tough. I mean, we don't like change mm -hmm. as a rule. I mean, some of us, there's very few of us who really like change, but a lot of us don't care for things to change. We want to be comfortable. It's harder to make change. But there's a term yep. that you put out that is very powerful, and that's quantum change. Yes. Tell us about that term and what does it mean? Well, for me, um, when I was a young person and I was going through my health education, my master's degree in public health, and I had a very good professor who was, uh, she was Buddhist in nature, but she was extremely, um, you know, she really believed in the power of words and the power of scripting your life and seeing how what you say is as important as what you do and those things have consequences, right? So she taught me a lot about like, um, wouldn't, it be, wouldn't it be great if, if in educating people, we could teach them how to change more easily 
like how to change the way they look, how to change the way they look at change, and then how to incorporate the skill to change and adapt easily. Uh, it's kind of like looking at yourself as a certain vessel that gets broken in pieces. And then now that vessel is put together to be a different vessel, but the same pieces, but a different, but for a different purpose. Right. Okay. So, so what I can say to you about what I think about quantum change is that, that quantum change is, is seen as, as these experiences that people can have through things that come into our life, often a, a difficult struggle of sorts, and that there's this benevolent change in our perspective internally about how we're seeing things in the world and how, um, and how now, you know, it, internally we're a different person, not, not a different person. What is the word I'm trying to use? A deeper person. Yes. Okay. With different, yeah. So now we can now look at the world and we can see different meanings than what we had before. And we can see people in a different manner, in a different way. And this, this, can, in, this can help us engage in the world in a more meaningful and inspiring way with other people. And this is, this is an internal thing. So one of the things that a lot of people are talking about right now in, in organizational effectiveness, organizational change, is how do you bring about these experiences in people and in the team? So that, okay, we know change is going to come. We know it can be really big. Now, how do, we, how do we coach them through that so that it becomes a positive thing and not a negative thing? And some of the key things that have come out of that work is that people's attitudes toward it have to be different. Oh, and you have to, yeah. Because that's big. <laughs> I know. It's really, it's really, it's really big. People's yeah. attitudes, okay. Make it Your open. attitude, it, it, how do you help people change their attitudes toward that? So it appears that there are people who kind of, through learning or through their own um, personality, they look at change differently. They look at struggle differently. They can take it, assimilate it. They can take the positives out of it because their worldview is different than other people. Uh, they have a spirit of forgiveness about things. Um, there's just these things they have about themselves and they, call, they kind of call it positive emotions and positive attitudes. And then there are people that have negative ones. And it turns out things like being um, like narcissistic and you know, being self-serving, having too big an ego. Um, uh, what was the other word? Um, where you, I forget it, I gotta think of it now. But there's, there's traits that are, are negative, that they don't help you have uh, quantum experiences as easily. And they don't help you buffet change very easily. And then there are people that they, you know, they might have like a, a stronger spiritual side to them. Uh, they believe in the spiritual, the community. Uh, they, they believe in connections. They want, they're always trying to connect um, on many levels with people. Those people tend to have, you know, may have more quantum experiences in life where the change is benevolent, changes are seen. And so, so basically what we're saying is if you can take change and you can see it in a, in a very positive light, then you can actually make that a positive thing inside of you. And then I, I think you and I have talked about this before where, you know, there's a lot of Eastern thought where, you know, you take this bad thing that happens, you have this energy in you and it's a negative energy and it blocks things in you. It can even make you sick. There's something around chronic conditions 
that people who are more forgiving, their chronic conditions aren't as bad. There's like all this research out there that they're just starting to put this together. Because, you know, in the Western world, we haven't studied this as much as, as, as other countries have. But basically, you know, it, it's really looking at that. And I'm, I'm no like expert, expert in this field. But as much as I know about it uh, and what I've been taught about it from experts uh, like Leslie and different, different people, it's, it's basically that energy is inside of you. And when you turn it and you say, you know, I'm going to forgive and I'm going to see the blessing it brought to me. What was the blessing that it brought? And when you change that, it now becomes an energy in you that's a positive energy. And that just changes your health. It changes your well-being. It can have a benevolent transformation inside of you rather than having a negative one. And that, that's a resiliency that we all should strive for. And that's why I think, you know, people in my life that have made the biggest difference in mentoring me were those kinds of people. You know, when I've gone through something immense, you know, they've been able to say, there's a blessing in this. And I'm like, yeah, do I want to hear that at that point? But if Not I stop, think, right. Yeah. But if I stop and I think about it, what is, this is going, this is going to radically change me. It's going to make me a better person. I'm going to understand the world better. I want to be that kind of person. I don't want to be a person that has a, a life that, that isn't informed and doesn't activate me to make a difference in the world. So this is going to activate me in a different way. I'm going to have a greater understanding. And you know what? It does that for you. When you think like that, then you begin to live like that. Okay. And, and, and I, my, you know, I, I, my, my children will tell you, that's how, that's what I say to them all the time. You know, if there's something that happens and I'm not going to give too many examples, but you know, I've said to them like, you know what? They say, why me? I say, why not you? Are you any more special or not special than anybody else? Why not you? Maybe this happens to somebody else and you just never knew about it. Maybe you need to think about this. What can it bring to you? How can it inform you? How can it make you a richer person? And because I'm a person of faith, I don't think anything comes to me. And I'm just going to be really honest. I don't think anything comes to me unless God allows that to come to me. And I, so I look at that thing my, myself and I say, what am I learning from this? Now, if I, I can learn from this, then it isn't a bad thing any longer. It's something that can transform me, make me a more loving, more giving person, more understanding person, and more open person. Because when you're, when you have something bad happen, you then become closed. And we know that, you know, the best leaders really share, they're open. They say, come and tell me, you know, what could I do better? If you're like a wounded person all the time, the world's after me or whatever, it, it doesn't, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to impact the world in, a, in the way that you want. So, you know, I, 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 I'm not an expert in this, but I do believe based on what I've seen that people that incorporate a lot of change in their life and they learn how to roll with it and they learn how to examine, you know, if they're, if they're having a lot of uh, discrepancies in their life and they can examine what are these discrepancies? I want this, but I do this. This is, we do this with patients all the time. You know, we work with call centers and different people training and we say, you know, you know, why, you know, um, why am I doing this and I'm getting this result, but I want this result. So how do I change that behavior and start getting the result that I want? Well, one of the things you can do is start to look at things that have come into your life as a solution, not the problem. So if you are a person who's 450 pounds and you eat, 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 maybe that has been your solution in life. It's not your problem. What does it solve for you? 
this habit. Um, why are you doing the behaviors that you're doing that are not producing the outcome you want? And how can you replace that with something that's healthier, more whole, make you a more whole person? So I know we're like spitballing, but to wrap it yeah. all up, yeah. to wrap it all up, I'm, I'm simply saying that, you know, the more that we study these things, the more we realize that you, you know, there is energy and uh, it's not just quantum mechanics, but there's quantum change and there's energy and there's power in your words and there's power in your actions. And the more that you can take all that and make it positive and turn it into a positive, the better it's going to serve yourself and other people. That's basically it. A new channel from Touchstone Publishers for Leaders. Just imagine skills and techniques to help you be a better leader than what you were yesterday. So you mentioned a few things that got my attention and this is like unfortunately for you this is where you get to coach me some so i ask things to see if i'm tracking down the right path or not with them when we talk about change and diversity yes that, are we kind of saying that everybody around you everybody on your team is going to have a different diverse view of that change and that solution for that change and we should be aware of that and look for their solutions to help generate the, the best solution? Yeah, I yes, I do. I, th I think that nobody's in anybody else's head. You, you don't know what's really going on. I mean, there's like, people are thinking things, then they might write it down, and then they might say it. It takes on another form when we say it. So it's right. ideal if people can express how they're feeling about changes and so that you can coach through those. And you can work, you know, coach each other through those changes and come up with really good solutions. So from an organizational perspective, you know, in any team or even in a family, you want to bring everybody's, everybody's uh, answers and solutions to the problem to the table. I mean, that's how we solve problems in the best, in the best way. Okay. So creating, creating synergy with that, because I'm just starting to see, Rosette, um, gosh, I wish I could remember the people's name. I need to remember them. But uh, the gentleman who conducted the, ex the experiments and said that the results of that ex experiment will always be different based upon who is observing it. The results of your problem solving, the results yes. of the challenges, the results of the change will always be different mm -hmm, based mm -hmm. upon the person who sees yes. that. Yes. So when you say you have to look at the solution and you have to have this attitude that points to that solution, that attitude is critical, isn't it? Because isn't that what's, well, I know we've talked about this offline, but that attitude you bring into the meeting room, yeah. or you bring to the work floor, that precedes you. It does. And it, and it, and all, I heard a really wise guy, he's actually a CFO, he said, all the work, um, the majority of the work is done before the meeting starts. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's like, you know, you've had conversations, you have figured out agendas, you've, and then you show up at the meeting and you hope by the time you get to the meeting, you have consensus, right? As much consensus as possible. But a, a lot of, a lot of that is already done um, before you've even walked into that training or into that meeting. So you try to prep people with, um, with very good, um, you know, information about a topic. You know, when I, before I, I go into training 
on any topic, you know, I provide um, articles on, let's just say I was, I was doing EQ, you know, I provide really good articles on EQ on, on, I do stuff on motivational interviewing. I would have some research there on the significance to their field. So that when they walk in, you know, they're like, okay, I kind of get what this is about and I know what I can bring. So I tell them like, consider these questions. And then they have those questions and they come, you know, prepared with like, well, that was a good question, but what I would have wanted ans answered is yeah. this, yeah. which yeah. is really good because it allows them to know like, it's okay to question. That's another really good sign of managing, um, you know, change and managing these things. Um, I, I know that for me, if I can frame things in terms of a question, I can often understand the material a little better. Like, what am I really trying to do with this information? What am I trying to affect? What's the outcome I really want? And so those questions often help around the, the, the ambivalence and all the things around the problem. So there's a lot of ambivalence people might have about trying something new. Um, Mm -hmm. there's going to be bumps. Like what happens if this happens? And are, is my evaluation going to be affected? If, if I have a patient that calls me and they, this happens, it's like, well, what you do when that happens is you write down what happened and you get some coaching about how to do it differently. So if you're the agent of making it different and making it better, that's a lot. That's, that's better than just kind of like, Oh, I hope they don't hear the phone call that went bad. I, I, really, right, right, right. I really would like to go and be and say, you know what, and I'm the same way, you know, like that meeting was okay, but where could it have been better? And the more you can do that, um, the more you can ask those questions and ask that of yourself, you know, be, be fair, you know, you're not, you haven't arrived, you know, you're, you're still learning. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that I'm going to have an inbox on the day I die, you know, I'm convinced that, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm convinced yeah. that there's things that are going to be left undone because I was busy about getting stuff done. But, um, but be focused enough to know, like, you know, what are the important things I need to do? And ultimately, when you, when you step into that position of leading and engaging other people, that you're thinking about them, you're thinking about the whole and the purpose and the intent and the outcome of why we're coming together. And then bringing all that together so that, you know, so there is great change or there is great um, you know, there could be barriers and problems. You're allowing the team to know, allowing, you're, what is the word? You're, 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 yeah, you're, you're letting the team know. It's okay. You can come with all of that ambivalence, all of those discrepancies, and we're gonna, we're gonna work around it. And the things we can solve, we can solve for the things that we can't, we can put to the side, but we can keep moving toward, um, our goal and there are going to be things that are just they are what they are right like there's any number of things they are what they are and you have to live with it like that's one of the things somebody taught me was can you live with it and support it like go around the room when people aren't happy and say but can you live with this decision and support it <laughs> because at the end of the day it may be an imperfect it may be imperfect but that's the best we can do right now and we keep moving forward I like that because we'll run in situations always where sometimes, not always, but yeah. where we don't agree with the command that came down from the board of directors or something like that. We just, but you can't yeah, you're, you're, it. yeah, we're, we, we still have to make it happen. And so that's what we're going to do. Yeah, and we're exactly. going to work together toward that. But that confidence 
that confidence that you give to them is literally the confidence that you have in yourself and the team. So you have to trust them. You have to, if you don't have a belief that people are their own powerful agents of change and that they've got a lot that they can bring to the table, if you don't believe that, then that's going to show. And they can see that. And if, if you don't have confidence in them, they'll, they'll read that as, you know, I don't have confidence in myself now. So you, you, I, I guess, you know, I come at life knowing that I, I'm a lot more confident that people when given the option to stay in brokenness or move to the best, the next thing, they will go to the next thing. If they're given a good, clear path to get there. And that's not just optimism. You watch people, how have we gotten to where we are? I mean, you just read World War II and you see all this stuff that the world's been through and you think, we're still around. Isn't that amazing? Yes. You know, good has overcome so many times. So, you know, that's, that's literally how you have to think. And then you have to affect that in your life and the way that you do things. But quantum change is, it's, it's uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk around how do you make that happen in other people? Or should you help that happen in other people? And my, my thought right now in life is, you don't have to make it happen. It just happens. It's just going to happen. It happens uh, in people's daily lives. They have great stress that comes along. And if you're in, you know, if you're in, in teams and, and you, can, you can help them deal with that and work through it. So are you saying it's their attitude that helps them deal with that? I think it is. And I think that you can train them into a very good attitude about it through your own life experiences. I think people, um, when they're heard and they're able to process all of their emotions and things that they're feeling and discuss them, they can then, they, I feel heard, now I can move to the next thing. Okay, so if I'm a leader and I'm coming into a meeting, yes, and I already know, like you said, 90%, 95% of the meeting is already done before it starts, I know what my outcome is going to be, what I, what I want my outcome to be. Yes. I know the people who are going to be involved in the meeting. I know their strengths, their weaknesses. I know the diversity they bring to the table. By knowing that, my attitude has got to be pretty strong. Wouldn't that be a shortcut to having a good attitude is by knowing these things, by knowing the, your team, knowing which, how you want to come out at the end? Yeah, it can be manipulative. I think you could approach life in a very manipulative fashion. Ah. So if you're looking at them as people and you want to, you want to help them get the team and them get to the rewards that they want, then it's going to come out differently. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Is it about, is it about, is it really about you then and about you manipulating the team or is it about, about the team. you collaborating with the team? You can use the same skills, the same ability to be self-aware and aware of other people to do harmful things. There's a, there's a very good series called um, the, the power of persuasion. Um, I should, you know, I, I'd love to refer to that in something in the future, but um, it was a very good training I went through. Uh, Debbie Hickston taught it oh. at Kaiser Permanente. And she's an amazing organizational person. She's in, I'm LinkedIn with her if anybody ever looks her up, but she's really, really amazing. She taught organizational effectiveness with Kaiser for several years, 20 years or so, 25 years. And she, um, she taught that. It was really, really interesting how you can persuade people toward making better choices um, and how this had been used in like health campaigns 
like uh, there's there's things around reciprocity and and um, there's all kinds of things around it that are just natural to us. Like if you go into a restaurant and um, a guy, they, they did studies where a guy would walk out and he would show all the desserts and go, but everybody's buying the, the, the creme brulee and they'd go, oh, that's what I'll have. Because there's something in us that says, if that guy gets it, well, I want it too. So if he comes out and the next thing is the chocolate cake, everybody will go for the chocolate cake. So there's these things about like, you know, your neighbor is saving money by um, conserving water. Oh, oh, really? They're saving money? Well, we should save money too. So you get them to, uh, to reduce their water consumption. So there's ways to tap into these things about us that make us, you know, human beings are human beings, right? And like um, if, if scarcity is one of them. That's why you'll go for the chocolate cake because it could be scarce too. Like there's only a few of them left. Oh, gotta, gotta get it now. I may not get that chocolate cake ever. So it's so interesting. All these theories, if you use them, you can use them negatively to make someone buy something that they don't need. Or you can use this to empower people to see kind of, you know, what's in it for them if they do particular things and what's in it for you. So all of these things, knowledge about people and the ability to what I would call work a room can be used negatively because sure. people might have, you know, it's not weaker minds. They just don't know that people are reading them. They don't, they don't understand what that person is doing. So that person can, can direct them toward behaviors that they want them to have, like overly competitiveness. Oh, well, you know, uh, Jill stayed up till three in the morning to get that report in. Jill, that was so wonderful of you. Well, this person over here is thinking, oh, well, I guess Jill did mm -hmm. better than me, right? So you can reinforce competition in a very bad way in a team of people. And leaders can, can, can lead, um, in those ways, then they might be effective for a time. But then what happens is people start to see through that and they don't see a true leader, they see a manipulator. True <laughs> leaders, yeah, true leaders engage people in their own unique motivations and what's meaningful for them and how they can bring that to bear to the project at hand and how they can make that effective. And then they feel pleasure in being a part of a group. We all come to work for different reasons, right? And yeah. some people, right? So that's, so it's important that, you know, we're aware of them. We're aware of what drives them, but we're not going to use it against them. We're going to use it for the greater good of them and the team. So it's the issue of intent. What's your intent? I um, had the pleasure, Dr. Robert Shodini uh, wrote the book a long time ago that um, it's getting used a lot now, Influence. Mm. And, and the book Influence, he lays out those, you know, reciprocity, authority, social... Um, forget the word, but social scarcity, scarcity, scarcity yeah. uh, all of them. And I don't know, I feel like that he was the original writer of these things because he did all yeah. the research and he was at um, ASU at the time. But yes, it's, it's I your, that is the person, you're right. Robert, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. so, um, and the work with him, we went through all those, we really discussed all those. And my point is, it's the intent. How many of us have had someone call us up on the phone or read send us an email, and the intent, even though the word's right, but you get the intent is wrong. Mm -hmm. Leaders, you're, you could be very guilty of doing that as well, right? Right, right. Giving the wrong intent, because mm -hmm. it's not your, your intent is to you to look better, not for you to help lift your team. Right, you're absolutely right. And I, I think that over time, intentions do show themselves. 
So it's important for us to be aware, like, what are my intentions here? You know, what, what is driving me? And that's why I like some of those, those thoughts around like, you know, you know, know yourself, you know, examine your own needs and your own desires in life. And, you know, take, take the things in your life that come along and learn from them and become a better person so that you can um, make a, a very good change in the world. Uh, and, and maybe that's a too high a thinking for some people. They say, oh, not everybody comes to the world like that. But I always tell my kids, I say, you know, the last thing that we're trying to get to, most older people, you know, they get to that generativity, that stage, you know, the higher needs. And they get to that point where they want to impart who they are to younger people, that generativity, generations. I say, the sooner you can get there, the better off the world's going to be. You don't have to be 70 to get there. You can be there at 15, 16, oh, yeah. 17. Yeah. Right. That's where we need to be. And if we can be there where we're like, it's not all about me. It's not all about my ego. You know, I do, I do have my own personal needs. I have my own personal desires, but I should make them as high as possible. They should, everything I'm doing should be tied to a higher purpose and higher goals. And we impart that to our children when they're young. You know, we tell them you're a part of a community. You know, you're a part of a group and you're, this family needs you to pick up your plate and take it over to the sink. And your, fam your family needs you to pick up your room and your family, and, and as they get older and older and older, they do, you know, more and more and more. And then they say, oh, I'm an important person. People need me and I need other people. So that, you know, that, that being able to give and being able to take. Uh, I don't know if I told you this story, but um, I was really moved when my daughter was now older, much older, but when she was in kindergarten, the teacher on the, every kid had a special day uh, in that class. And, I showed up for her special day and I didn't know they did this, but she sat in the chair and she read notes from each child. And they said, I like you because. Wow. I like wow. You because. And she read those out loud and the child would say yes. And to hear these good things about yourself and to read them yourself, it was so, it was so sweet. And it was so, it was perfect to be able to take a compliment and give one is, is a really, really good thing in life and so we learn these things when we're young yes yes, you know, yes. We learn how to be a giver and how to be a taker and uh, and be in healthy uh reciprocity with people so you know one of those things that they talk about is reciprocity and how you know people like it if you have something to give to them but they also like it when you are taking something from them because they go oh i can sell something <laughs> they'll sell something to me i'll sell something to them and in the end of the day, maybe it's just you're, you're, um, you're giving something like what we're giving. That's like just free knowledge, just free, open exchange of ideas. Well, even if it is your, no money, just to yeah. do it because it's the right thing to do and because we need this. We need to be able to communicate. So even if it's your intent to have a for-profit company making money, if we don't get to the understanding as leaders, give first. I expect nothing in return and it comes back tenfold my grandmother i'm telling you i'm going to write something one day and it's and it's going to be called uh, when in need dig a well my grandma used to say because because people need water and you need the work and she used, she believed that when you worked 
and you gave, you got yourself out of the problem. Mm-hmm. It was only through that exchange. And you know, when there's a tragedy or things happen, mm-hmm. when people start to give to one another, it changes the dynamic of the crisis. And that flood now becomes a lesson in life. Like the flood came and it left and we survived it. And together we survived it. So people, when they needed each other in that way, and like we do now, uh, they, they learned that they are not an island to themselves, that they need one another, that they need to be able to collaborate. And when you collaborate well, you do better in your work, you do better in your life. All of these things are just, you know, people might call it old wisdom. And now we research it and say, wow, it's true. What we tell a child when they're little is what they will believe about themselves. Why is that? Because words are powerful. They are powerful. And so we want to be continually affirming people, affirming their talents and their skills. And we want, we want to call up higher, you know, some higher desires, you know, early in life so that we can raise up people that want to help the world. It's not just about having a business. Yes. And every business helps people, you know, even if you're selling tools on this, you know, goodness, I remember driving in and needing a tool and I don't know what it is. And I would, I remember driving in and, I needed a, a gas cap and I had to go to one of the stores and I'm like, I don't know what kind of gas cap it is. I lost mine. I drove off and the thing fell out or something. And he's like, oh, gotcha. And he ran and got it. And I thought, oh, thank God for this guy. He knows the right kind of cap to put on my car, you know, gas cap. I mean, just every, you can have all the knowledge in the world you think, but you can't exist without other people with knowledge that you need. Without other people, yes. Every exactly. day. Every day. And you Mm -hmm. can't exist if you have the wrong intent for people or wrong intent if it's just all. So that guy could have ran back and said, I know which one to get and get you the one that costs three times more than the one that you actually needed Mm -hmm. just for his commission. But I'm believing, like you said in previous episodes, you know when you see it. You You know know it when you see it. And And people see it in you and then they identify. And like I've, I've had so many great blessings come along. You know, like I was going and when I remember I was moving and um, to get the truck and everything. And one of my friends comes along and he's there and, he, and he's like, the guy goes, oh, I didn't put the dolly on there. He goes, you got three kids. I'm just going to put it on there for free. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> and he just put it on for free. And he, I, you know, and, and he was, I was just pleasant. You know, I was thankful for him and all. he was putting the order together. And, you know, I was just thankful that he was doing that. Thankful, you know, that I had help. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting when you approach life from a spirit of thankfulness. And, and I heard one guy, oh, he said, I always, approach, I always approach the world in a place of weakness, not strength. Hmm. And when I'm weak, you know, other people are strong. I'm bringing up their strengths and I'm pulling those strengths to me. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting that's interesting. Yeah, interesting. To look at life is like, I am weaker than I think, but I'm strong too. But I, I need people. I need to engage other people. I, I, I need, um, I don't know everything. And there was this, I heard this um, one guy, there was quadrants. And he said, here's, if there's a leader that he doesn't know anything at all. And then here, he knows a little bit more. And in the third quadrant down here, it's four, four block. And down here, um, he knows a lot, but not everything. But if he ever hits that last one where he knows everything, he's done because he won't listen to anyone. He'll never grow. So stay in the third quadrant. You know a lot, but you don't know everything. 
and just kind of stay there. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That is a good way to look at it. Why try to look at life that way? Like, okay. You know, that though takes me to this thought. Don't know why it's there, but that diversity, um, we're going to get different things for different people. Um, You're really successful with some of your clients. And this is just a gross statement, but the East, Eastern philosophy versus the Western philosophy, it's a huge difference. Maybe. Yeah. What do you, how do you talk about your success in leading the two different spheres, which, which I think I know what you're going to say, but just, let me just have you say, talk about your uh, thoughts about that. Well, you know, um, let me look here. I was going to pull something up. Um, oh, goodness. I'm not able to do it right now. Oh, I can't pick it up right now. Um, well, you know what I sent you over email? Do you have that? Yeah, that's, that's what I said. I think I know what you're going to say because that was so powerful, but I want you to share a little bit with that. Well, give uh, me the first one because some of the things, one, I have a very good friend who does a lot of, she's doing a lot of leadership training there. And we have begun to talk about building leadership training. And she's, I'm sorry, it's just amazing. But she said, you know what I do is I work from something called SPICE. And I, um, you know, I, I employ all of this when I work with people and I thought, okay, this is a new way of looking at it. They, they really do look at um, their culture. They look at, um, they look at the, the energy that they're, that they're, uh, the energy that they're throwing out all the time. And so, so they looked at, it's, they, it's something called spice. And the first one was spiritual, right? Spir- yes, spiritual. They don't leave that to the side. That's actually at the top for a reason. And they, they believe that, they're a spiritual being with energy and they're affecting other people and they want that to be right. And they want to connect with people who have great energy as well. Isn't that attitude? That's attitude. That's so, attitude towards change. Yes. And, and that's why I bring that up because really how much different is that? I mean, okay, spiritual, they may I understand this is a gross interpretation of this, but if Eastern philosophy is saying spiritual and Western saying attitude, is there a difference? I, I, I think there is. I think we, toward, we tend to secularize everything because we feel like we want to be rational. We don't like the woo-woo stuff, you know. But, um, mm-hmm. but it's pretty, it's, you know, we, we know based on research the power of attitude and what that does. And gotcha. that spiritual side of you um, that you just know is there that um, is being affected all the time by your environment and that you have to guard that and keep it, you know, and in and, and their restriction, like keep it kind of holy and keep it uh, set apart for a purpose. So yeah, it, it sounds more in kind with like a, a Christian religion or something than it does yeah. really with effectiveness of organizational effectiveness. But I think it's okay for us to think about that. But I have to think about that because that's, you know, they have festivals upon festivals, you know. Right. <laughs> I that's- had a meeting. I had a meeting once and one of my guys, um, he goes, you know what? Because I got to go because I got this plate and I have to go out and I need to find a chicken, a cow. It was something else and an ant. And I have to show respect for life and feed all, each one of these. I said, oh, he said, yes. And, he's, and that was just respecting life, respecting that he was alive, that kind of thing and his ancestors and what they had brought him or whatever. And then he said, um, I said, what do you do about the ant? And he said, 
or we just put it out there because we know the ants will find it. We have faith that the ants will find it. I said, well, that's good because you, you might be out there all night. So I just envisioned people yeah. out there finding animals. But I thought to myself, well, hey, they're staying connected to nature. Like they're forced to stay connected to nature because it's a part of their traditions. We, you know, like what's going to force me to stay connected with the animals and the cow and the, you know, uh, I have to, I go out there and make that happen because I know it makes me feel better being connected with, as I love trees and, you know, so I love to be in forests and stuff. And, um, but it's interesting, right? Uh, (laughs) So that's the spiritual side. And and it's not a bad thing to be connected like that. And we don't have to look at it as strange, but I do have to consider that in the work that I do. And I was just gonna say, I know that that's one thing that I try to bring into workshops all over the world, morning routine. Mm. That's a spiritual time for you. Depending on where you're at, I don't say it's spiritual, but that's what that is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on you know, morning routine, prayerful time, um, connection time, spiritual time. Spiritual should be like it is at the top, I think. And I like the way you laid that out. And that's why I wanted to bring it out because it is still a difference between East and West. But now I wonder if there is a difference between East and West on the physical that's the next. So we're talking about the multi-dimensional okay, yes. of being well. So it's physical. not just yeah, physical. That's one of the multi-dimensions. Yeah, they they so so they believe in the importance of multi-dimensional wellness. They think that all these things affect our basic wellness. You can't get away from your environment. You can't get away from all these things to being a whole and, and joyous person. So the physical is is you know around. Um, I would say that's like the, the physical world. You're you know, your, your health and all of that, you know, the stuff we consider as exercise and, and the way you eat and all of that would be the physical side. Is that also environment? Um, it may be, but, you know, they've got an intellectual is the other one, mm-hmm. right? Intellectual, you have intellectual, to have a, right? Yeah. Which I think we identify really well with. I think people in the West identify really well with this. And I would love for you to have a conversation with her sometime, Glenn, because I think you'd find she would do a much, much more justice to this than I am. Um, but I can give you the cursory because I do work, work around this. Um, the cultural might actually be more the, the environmental. Like what's going on, you know, like the cultural, you know, all the, the, the traditions and everything that you bring. Okay. So maybe that. Okay. And then the emotional, which is really interesting to me, right? We, do we talk about, I mean, it's almost like we don't like too much emotion in our work, right? We kind of, oh, that yeah. side, but that's important. Our emotional well-being uh, is very important. And I think when I look at this, this fits in really well when I work with um, people with chronic conditions, because I'm always having to consider social determinants of health. So, okay. so the cultural and emotional and spiritual side would be very important. And the social determinants of health would, would work on those for sure. The physical and intellectual is probably more like the clinical side of it, you know, like your BMI and your uh, recovery after your surgery like that. So it's just another way of, of a, to organize the way you work, but the emphasis on the spiritual side of people is definitely stronger. There's, there's a stronger emphasis on things there than there are here. 
Yeah, I can see that. I want to ask you, though, I want to push this a little bit because okay. since this is all dimensional wellness, mm-hmm. since they're saying it takes all of these, all five of these to be, to go beyond EQ? <laughs> yes. In order to go beyond that, all five of these, coach me as a leader. Let's say I have a staff of uh, 23 people, direct reports report to me. Yes. How do I apply this? How do I apply spice and uh, to to the to the work environment? Again, you're talking to somebody who, in the last couple of years, has come to this. So I'm like, I know, I know my field, you know, really well around, you know, motivational interviewing, quantum change, you know, um, all of those kinds of things. I, I, you know, brief negotiation, all the things we've talked about. Around around something like spice, I'm less learned, but I can tell you this. Um, working around people's spiritual, physical, um, intellectual, cultural, and emotional, um, I would be looking at, you know, how does the environment and, and the work, how does the work environment reflect uh, those oh. in a positive manner? So, you know, I would, you know, Brilliant. You know what, what I observe there is that, you know, they, they observe festivities more like, I'll give you an example, like marriage. You know, it's really, really big. Like a, like a wedding is really big. Yeah. And hours. <laughs> hours. And people take off. You know, I'm going for two weeks to, you know, my, my niece is getting married. That's a time where it's not just about the marriage. It's literally a time when they're doing their family reunion. They may even be doing business. There's all kinds of stuff going on there. That's very important to the family. So you have to, you, you have to, um, take notice of that and their idea of their idea of 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 the spiritual is so different we say things like i'm going to church or i'm going to recognize martin luther king day let's just say those two right those are two just different things one is i know kaiser permanente was amazing the um, mlk day was a day that we all went and served like i went and painted schools with groups of people like i got that day off to you go to a food bank or you do something. It's, it's, it's a day of service. I love that because mm-hmm. MLK is a, a holiday. So you took that day as a team and you took that holiday to do something great. Um, they're, uh, they're sort of, uh, they're, they're, they don't pick a day. They don't pick, they're doing it all the time. It's, it's a part of your life. You're, you're living it all the time. So they don't just like pray, but they're like praying all the time. It's more like the way my grandmother, like old, old world. It's not a, t- a space and time. It's an attitude. It's a lifestyle. So what you're saying is in the workplace, if I'm going to be a great leader, I got to bring the right attitude, the right lifestyle attitude to the work site every day. Right. And they will, you know, they'll want to see that to be congruent. Remember, that was one of the things we talked about. It's congruent with my purpose. And, and, and what we're planning and what we're doing. So the plan is laid out for a desired outcome. And you're continually reflecting on that plan all the time. Like you're repeating the plan and you're repeating the purpose. And you, it's just, it, it, you're just living it all the time. Rather than, this is a plan, we set it aside. These are the things, we're, tasks we're doing. It's like, no, always those those things are always being interwoven into the plan and your, and that plan is your purpose and your goals. Gotcha. And so it's, it's, um, 
you know, um, my grandmother had so many different faiths around her and it was just like when they cooked, it was infused in their cooking. Like they would do a particular thing and the egg had to be a certain way because the egg was relevant of this, you know, like all of it just kind of ties together all the time. You know, there's a, there's this, there's seasons for everything. There's reasons for everything. And it's just flowing in that all the time. And so you're a part of your, you're a part of the, um, the physical world. All, you're in the physical world. You're doing these spiritual things. It's a part of your intellectual makeup. Uh, your culture is involved in it and it's reinforcing it. And then you're getting an emotional thing out of it. So I think I see this now because yeah. really every, if I'm going to be a great leader and I, I don't care whether they use the word spiritual or attitude. It doesn't <laughs> yeah, that's good. My team has to feel integrated as part of it. They feel respected. They feel um, loved. They feel like they can make a difference. That I trust them to make a difference. So they have to feel that way. That's got to be the attitude, the spiritual and the culture of my team. Yes. Okay. Um, physically, I've, as a leader, I need to make sure that their job is easy to do. Desks are set up physically proper. They have water. They have breaks. They have whatever they need for physical comfort. Yes. Intellectually, they have to learn. They have to know the job. Interesting now that's third in the list. Most managers think they have to have technical skills and teach those technical skills. Mm-hmm. Most managers need to take care of that first one first. Mm-hmm. Intellectually, yeah, intellectually. that's absolutely true because that's going to affect everything. You're not going to feel, you know, it's like, like you teach a child, you know, if a child can do it, let them do it themselves kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the more that they do, the more they, they have value in the team, the more purpose they have, um, the more role definition that they have. You can't give them a role and then not provide the guardrails and the skills. It's not fair to anyone. I'm not saying you think of others as children. I think of myself as a child. I approach um, things and work like a child. Like, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out, right? Right, um, right. I'm going, to br- I'm going to bring my skills to bear. Um, and I've had many instances like that where I've had to do a workflow and I'm like, okay, I don't know how they do this right now, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to ask questions, examine, and I'm going to come up with, and then we're going to change it so it's more effective. So that's really literally what you're doing. You're just exploring how people work and you're getting it mapped out. What I'm saying is you can't give a person a task and they don't have the skill to do it. That's not fair. I don't want to be treated like that either. And so if, if they're approaching something new and they're taking a risk, which is something we never talk about in work, but if they're taking a risk, like, I, I think I can make this PowerPoint better. Okay, uh, but let's do that. You know, when do you have time for us to, to work on that and make this better? I can animate it. I could do something. Well, let's work on that. So you mentor them through that. You don't just throw them in that. And then if, you, if, you, if the result isn't perfect, you can go back to the other one. You can say to them, well, we tried it. That didn't, that didn't work. You know, that's okay. And so you're, you're initiating the, the, some risk-taking in people and growth. Because I know for me that people gave me opportunities to take risks and to grow. And I have examples of where Kaiser Permanente, thank goodness, they said, you know, I remember I was looking at reporting and how to change the reporting when we went on electronic medical records. Mm-hmm. And I said, I think you can change this reporting so that it'll, it'll 
uh, work so it, it puts the reports together differently so that when they chart them, it'll chart easier. He said, well, try that. And then goodness, it, it changed the way we charted. It changed the way we did reports for the, for the Northwest region. And I didn't know, you know, I, I had never written HEDIS. And I said, I had a great colleague and he said, I think Virginia can do this. I said, you think I can write this? You can do this, Virginia, and I'll help you along the way. And he did. He gave me some mentoring along the way. He, he looked at scripts, mm -hmm. some things I had written and, and I wrote it and I did it. And I was like, wow. So there were things, and then because I took that risk, when I had an opportunity about three months later, uh, I, was, I ran into somebody from the PR department and they were writing something for Consumer Reports. And I'm like, he's like, I gotta go home. I don't have time to do this. And we need it in for the region. I'm like, I'll do it. I can stay late and do it. And he's like, you can? I'm like, yeah. So I stayed late. I worked about four hours. I'd, I had all the answers. I wrote it. I sent it in. And the Northwest region did very well on that Consumer Reports as a result. And, he, and I, I got some sort of award for it or something, but that wasn't not nearly what was important about it. What was important was I took a risk and it paid off and I learned that what I was gonna put forth was better than nothing. I mean, at least something went in, right? Yeah. So it paid off. paid off. And I tell people that all the time, young people, you know, go a little bit outside. I'm, I'm not a PR person, but go a little bit outside and, and take a risk here and mm. there and be available. So what was Learn, I'm sorry, you know, yeah. be prepared to learn something from that. It's okay. You know, we, we as leaders have to give people the opportunity, whatever age, whatever background, man, female, I don't care. We have to give people that opportunity. When we see that in them, we have to give them the opportunity to do that. So as a leader, so they, they grow and you get, you, you get more competent, more happy, more fulfilled people because of that. So as a leader, I need to create the culture where there's a culture of trust and growth, where people are not afraid to try these things. People are not afraid to say, well, I can write very, that PowerPoint a little bit different. Absolutely. And be prepared that what they do may be different than what you would have done. Even if it's not, you know, you can't do everything. You can't do everything. You have to have a team of people that do things and be okay well, with the result even if you think you could have done it better, because it's not about doing it better. Sometimes it's about just getting it done and doing it, getting it done as well as possible. You know, there are deadlines and you have to get things done, but, but be prepared to mentor people through that and say, you know what, you know, they say, wow, I did that presentation. I know you would have done it better. You say, no, maybe not, you know, let, let's both make that better because you did these things really well. I would just add these few things and together now you're going to have something even better. And if they don't try, there's nothing for me to work from to help them do it better or for me to do it better. If I don't try and let people think about this, if I don't try and they provide input, then how am I going to get better at anything? You know, I have to be willing to be open to that. You know, it's open leadership. It's like, here it is. Let's bring it all together. Uh, let's take out the things we don't need. Let's put in the things that we, that we all have that's great. And it's surprising how um, people begin to trust that process. I don't think we trust people who, you know, browbeat us and correct us all the time because we kind of, well, is that really the way anybody grows? I mean, no. So I, 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 I don't think we trust people who might not help us 
in a benevolent way. That doesn't, that's not fluff, you know, that's not saying that you're not going to provide constructive criticism, but who's going to receive that if you can't mentor them through the good stuff too? And you, you, it, it's, it's a process, you know? So I try to do that with myself, you know? <laughs> and so to say, yes, yeah. I could have done better at that, you know? And, and where did that go? And how could I have been crisper? How could I have communicated more clearly? And sometimes it's that, I, that you have to know the information well. So when you ask me about spice, I correctly said, I am not from the East. I do not have that orientation to the world. However, I am learning with time how to incorporate that, all those great things into the way that, even if it's just said a little different, but sometimes it's not how it's said. It's just simply a new way of thinking that I had never considered before. And that oh, helps yeah. me become a better leader. And honestly, that's what they're looking for too. They're very interested yeah. in how America works and why are we so innovative? You know, why are you so innovative? Like, how do you think of new things? You know, all this stuff. And it's something in the spirit of, of, of the American culture that we like to innovate. Like we take something and then we, we try to make it better and we build on it. You know what I mean? And I think that that's, I think that's in the spirit and the DNA of, of, of America. And I hope we never lose that. You know, that's why I think some of these amazing people come here and, and, uh, they start businesses and they do things because it's right, an right. environment for that. Like Elon well, Musk, yeah, you know, yeah. he, he came here for that reason. I think he felt like there was a spirit of, um, you know, of collaboration here. And there was a, you know, one thing we did not say though, and all of this mm -hmm. is the art of humor. Oh, <laughs> we never talked about that, but I'm going to tell you, humor has been one of the most saving graces in my life is to be around people. I, I was just thinking about a couple of them that are, funny, yeah. that are funny, that are funny. That helps you through a lot. If you can just laugh things off like, oh, can you believe that my hair was sticking up in this event? Or can you believe that I forgot that word? And I use that word all the time. Why can't I not remember, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's, it's good to have a sense of humor about yourself and the world because it, it, well. it saves us. <laughs> I think I found the humorous people who are really humorous who are not getting paid for it, but just humorous in life yeah. are the people who have stepped outside of their ego. Yeah. Mm -hmm. they're, they're just out there. They're just, you know, they can laugh at themselves. They can laugh at other things. They can laugh with other people. I mean, they can, you know, they don't have a problem. I heard a joke the other day by Ronald Reagan. And to me, there's one of the funniest things he ever said. And so I. What did he say? What was the joke? The joke was, uh, have you ever heard about the? Um, well, not have you ever heard? It started out wrong. So the joke was okay. that uh, there's this guy driving down a farm road. Uh huh. Um, he looked up to see this chicken behind him that's chasing the car down. Well, he said, "There's no way that chicken's gonna catch him." But uh, every time he looked up, the chicken was getting closer and closer and closer to him. Chicken got kind of close and said, "Look at his rear mirror." He said, "Wow, that chicken's got three legs, I think." All of a sudden, the chicken jumped around to the side and passed him up and was running. And then he turned right and went down his farm road. So the guy said, I was so curious. I turned right and I went down the farm road. And sure enough, there's a farmer down there. And he goes to the farmer and said, did you just see a chicken run by? And he goes, yeah, I seen it. Did he have three legs? Oh, yeah, yeah, he had three legs. The guy goes, how did that happen? Well, I breed him that way. Because see, my wife likes chicken drumsticks, my daughter likes chicken drumsticks, and I like chicken drumsticks. So we had to, didn't want to have to be fighting over who got the chicken drumsticks, so I started breeding them that way. And I goes, well, how do they taste? 
I don't know. We've never caught one. <laughs> That's a good one. You never no. caught one? Oh, my God. <laughs> See, now, how many presidents, the good ones, mm. do, but how many of them have enough lack of ego to even tell a corny joke like that and make it so funny? Wasn't he the one that said, I'm not going to highlight the youth of yeah. my... We're not going to talk about, yeah. So old, I'm not going to highlight this. Yeah, yeah. So that's checking your ego, right? This is, yeah. Well, I got to tell you, I, I got to tell you, children will do that for you. They oh. will. They they will like, you know, mom, you're like, you're just mom to them. You know, yeah. I, I, I got to tell you, humility and humor, because they're really important ages, you know, humility and humor and being able to laugh at yourself. And I think we need more of that. We need more like, are you kidding me? Do you do well, do we all have this figured out? Like, do you think you've arrived that you know everything? Like, that's impossible. You know, it's impossible that you're gonna, you just, even in your own area of expertise, you don't know everything. All you gotta do is just travel to India, go travel to Japan and you'd be like, oh wow, they do it this way. This is really interesting. You know? You can, you can do that right here. You don't, I don't have to travel. To get, That's right. No, I don't know anything. Uh, well, I know something, but I know a lot just because I curate from other people. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason I think I have some level of knowledge because I listen to other people. I write, I copy their blogs in. I give, you know, I ask people like yourself to show up. I still know nothing. I, 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 I'm like my grandmother. The more that I know, the more I don't know. And I, I used to say when they asked me as a child, like, who do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm like, I want to be my grandma. And as life is going by, I'm like, wow, I really want to be like my grandmother. I really want to be a person who's wise. But wisdom is knowing you don't know everything. And it's good you don't know everything, because what would the world be like if you knew everything? And what would the world be like if there was no challenge? You know, um, if there was no adversity, if there was no, and you you didn't have to change, you didn't have to grow, you know, that wouldn't be... um, there wouldn't be a normal world. You wouldn't want to live like that. I remember when my son was really little and I would say to his, my father-in-law, you know, say, oh, he's growing up. And he'd say, do you want him to stay little? And I'd say, yeah, you know, but when I really look at it, I'm like, no, I, I, I really want to see that grow and become something great. And that's exciting. You know, it's exciting, yeah. it's exciting in your work when you do things and you get to see it grow. Maybe that's why I'm very entrepreneurial. And you know, I've always, even in Kaiser Permanente, I was always liking to start new projects and see them grow. And, and the struggle was okay because, mm-hmm. you know, I trusted that, you know, intelligent people were going to make this happen. And, and, and they did. It went insanely well all the time, all the time. And I'd be like, wow. You know, and now I get to work with people, you know, in other countries and here. And I feel like, what a blessing it's been. I'm, I'm actually, you know, growing more and more um, and learning a lot. And uh, that it, it humbles you, makes you realize, you know, wow, I, it's not that I want to up my game. It's just that I want to stay present. You know, I want to like, wow, this is the time to really learn a lot and never lose that sense of wanting to learn and grow and be teachable and to be open. And um, 
even when things aren't aren't perfect or it's not the way you wanted it to work out to say that brought me a lot of knowledge I would have never had any other way. I'm glad that in the end, I turned it around for something good. You know, it wasn't good, but I made it for good. You know, I believe that. Yeah. That uh, brings me to probably our final question in this area, because we want, I'm trying to move this into, well, like you're doing, you're, you're laying out the structure for everybody to be, use this for being successful uh, as a leader, as a parent, as um, organizer, mm-hmm. working through change. But you just said something that kind of got me into a, a framework work of mine. Leadership also requires that you do not make judgments. Would you agree? Yeah, you have to come. You have to come. Judgments about work or judgments about people. I'm right now leaning toward both. Well, it's interesting because you do have to. You know, I had a. I was training someone once. And she, I still remember this, she did not like the word competency. Mm. So what I do is I do an assessment, like I train, and then I use a very valid tool to say 10% of the time you did this, 50% of the time, like in an engagement. And I can very quickly see whether they're using the tools that they've been given and what, you know, whether they're reflectively listening. And there's ways I know how to, you know, see like based on responses. And so Anyway, and then I make notes about what they did well and everything. Well, there was something, I used the word competency. And she said, she complained to somebody higher up, not to me. She complained, I don't like that. You know, I got to be a physician. I don't like uh, competency. And I said, well, why not? Well, because that just denotes that, you know, uh, that there's some ruler. And and I'm like, but that's like, you got to be competent. Nobody's saying, you know, that's, you know, you're here and you're like, Postmaster speaker, but you have to be like competent in certain things. And we need competent people in particular professions. Don't want them to hurt a patient or say something to a patient wrong or, or, you know, God forbid, there's all kinds of competencies. Well, that word was a, was something that she didn't like. And they basically said, well, you know, we get that certain age groups, they don't use the word competency. And I said, well, I'm going to use the word competency. I'm not going to browbeat you, but I've got to be competent in certain things to do my job. I got to be able to work particular technologies. I mean, there's, I got to be able to know the regulations for technologies. I've got to be able to know, you know, the tools for training or, you know what I mean? Build curricula. There's a huge amount of skills and knowledge you have to have when you run a consulting firm that you, that you draw on. And I need, I have to bring competencies to this profession that I'm in. I put myself under the same thing. You know, I'm not going to, try to do something until I become competent enough in it that I can affect the outcome I want. That, mm. That's just being, that's just being, a, a, that's almost a righteous thing when you think about it. Why would we want, it, it's, it would be sad if I told a, a seven-year-old, now you have to go bake a cake. But I can teach them how to crack eggs, you know. There's competencies to get to the place where they bake a cake. Just keep it simple right now. Um, but I think, right. yeah, you, you can judge. You do have to judge work. You don't have to make it personal, but you do have to judge work. And you have to do that for yourself as well. You need to be open to, 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 to looking at your own self and saying, you know what, I'm not quite there yet. I need coaching and help to get there. I told you about infographics. Right, right, right. right? right and I, right. I got some help on that. You know, I've got someone who's doing them, but I still need to understand why is an infographic important? Why would you use that in marketing? And because I don't do them, 
I write blogs or whatever. So that I had to bring myself up to a knowledge level. And it's okay to say I, I'm not competent in that yet. I lack competency. That isn't a that isn't a bad person thing. That's just, you know, and maybe I'm never gonna be I'm never gonna be a, a concert pianist. I can say I'm never gonna be competent enough to do that. I can appreciate that. I love it, but I have not gained the skill and may I may never have the skill to be able to do that. Um so so I'm just telling okay. you, like, can we judge people? Yes. No. But we, we can't even judge their intention a lot of times. We don't even know people's intentions. You, you may think you know a person's intentions, but you may be totally wrong. But you can look at the work and you can say, this is the skill level I got to have. We do that all the time. And that's a, that's yeah. a good thing. Well, yeah. Yep. I, I see what you're saying there. And I track with you. That makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. Well, and I didn't mean to be hard on it. No, but, no, no. But I you think should it's be. an important thing today. I think it's an important thing today. Glenn, because how many people yeah. are you hearing right now that they're experts? You know, they go out there, I'm an expert in this, an expert in that. You know, no, you're have not. humility <laughs> and know. Maybe you're not, you know. Maybe you're not. <laughs> Just because you've written one book doesn't mean you're an expert. Just because you've written 100 books doesn't mean you're an expert. No. You may, you may actually, you may actually, um, you know, I learned something the other day. I'll give you a good example. I I, B.F. Skinner, you know who that is. He did a lot yeah. of yeah, yeah, um, yeah. behaviorists, you know. And I learned so much in psychology around like, okay, you do this and they ring the little bell and they get their food. And, but a guy wrote a book recently about drug addiction. I can't remember the name of it. I think it's a green, I can't remember. But, um, but I heard an interview with him. And sometimes I can't read these books. I just get the interview, right? Because I just don't have time to read the words. But the gist of it was B.F. Skinner used rats that were starved they were not in a normal community they were literally not like in a in a healthy rat community and i don't know if you know this but a lot of you know they compare rat communities to human communities and yeah. there's similarities so just so so this was interesting he said that you take a rat and you like the bf skinner rat and if you have a a little thing with water in it with drugs and another one without drugs he'll go to the one with drugs but if you have a rat that has a healthy community doing well he will go for the, for the one that's just flowered. Yeah. Okay. Why is that? Because and so it tells you that maybe some of the studies that we read about rats are, and we've applied to people are really just studies of people who are in some level of brokenness or some little situation. And maybe our, our, our ability to help people get out of drug addiction, this is what he was saying. People leaving drug addiction was actually finding the need that they had what was the need mm -hmm. and if you could fill the need then they would leave the drugs does that make sense to you oh that makes great sense you should see how many notes i'm making back over here it's just but isn't that notes. amazing way to think yeah. about it though like yeah. develop systems for people where they're healthy and they and they have community and they have it's it's a healthy environment they're not going to choose drugs why do certain people from certain environments we're talking about resiliency we're talking about okay yeah. why is it that you know uh, one third of them in a bad environment will make different choices. They'll make right, you know, they'll make better choices for themselves and the two thirds don't. That's because there's something going on there. There's some needs, there's some connections. And that's what the research is showing that they're, they're actually in a situation where, you know, they, they either have a strong parent or they have a, they have a strong spiritual community or something. A school teacher takes an interest. They have higher goals. They develop the technique to self-control. 
Um, there's just all kind. they have a temperament where they're more positive. There's all these things are working. They're not one thing and it's creating one third of them don't do as poorly. Okay. So it stands to reason that if we really want to solve some of these behavioral problems that we see in our culture, it's not just, you know, take a pill. It's got to be something more than that. And that's where the Eastern side of what I've been around tends to take that more into consideration. They're looking at the spiritual, the cultural, yeah. looking at the whole, all those social terms of health, and they're empowering people through that. Now, are they doing it well? No, not, not everything's going well around. Yeah. But at least we can see, right, that we can, if we take a little bit from here and a little bit from here, maybe that pie or that cake will bake a little better and we'll have a better world. And we shouldn't be so arrogant to think, that there's not something to that. But I'm telling you that I used to look at things the way the B.F. Skinner world was, and it just flipped me. Right. And I yeah. thought, this is something I always knew. It was instinctive in me. I always knew this because I saw my grandmother, I saw her community, you know, a bunch of, you know, older women, their husbands were all past. They had this little community for themselves, their little bungalow houses. They lived a life where they gardened, they cooked together. They were from different religions, different countries, people from Turkey, Romania, um, Russian. They're speaking all their languages, yeah. they're cooking together, and they're getting mm -hmm. along. And I remember someone, you know, they say, when they leave, they say inshallah to me, you know, and, and say most blessed, blessed things to me. And their children were, their grandchildren would come and play. They're beautiful children and I look at that kind of world and I think you know what they had a mission and a purpose they were alone they had no husband and they needed to be together and they needed each other and they had their own little community they put mm -hmm. together in that in that area and they and they had a little bungalow their little bungalow houses in their gardening and somebody grew tomatoes really well and somebody grew cucumbers really well and they brought it all together in the fall and they canned together and there were recipes that they shared. And I, I look back on that and I'm like, there's some wisdoms in these things, you know, wisdom in these, these yeah. ways of behaving. I think we would do better if we don't like drug addiction and we don't like violence and we don't like these things. We need to look at these social determinants, these cultural, spiritual, all these things and, and, and begin to change our world in those ways. Because it, it isn't just that, you know, somebody wants to just take drugs. There's no. a reason why they overeat or there's drugs or there's, there's something. It's meeting a need. Yeah. Needs. Meeting the needs. That's, so that's my spiel. That's my wrap yeah. up, basically. Yeah. That's why yeah. I'm interested. <laughs> but that's what I was going to say because that in itself, if a leader can understand that they need to set up the SPICE program. Uh, yeah. And they need to be that themselves first to set the example, to be the model mm -hmm. of everything. Then, like, there's a call center that I had as a client. And it was in Dallas, Texas, and the staff that they were getting, the safest place they were going to be in the 24-hour period was when they were going to be at work. That was the safest place that they were going to be. Okay. And so, and that's sad, but that's the way it was. And like you said, that one-third is going to go on and move up. I remember specifically one lady moving all the way up to becoming a, a product trainer, okay? Without a, without a college degree, by the way. And at the time, that, they didn't, if you didn't have your college degree, you couldn't be a trainer for that company. But she managed to move up, and she managed to take her kids out of out of harm's way, and she managed. Last I heard, the kids were preparing to go to college now, but she got them oh. out of the way, and so she represented the one third who moved up. But it wouldn't have happened if this company hadn't decided, okay, 
This is going to be the safest, most productive place these people can be all day. So when they go back home, yes. they can deal with the, the drugs and the gangs and the drive-bys and all that type of stuff. They can deal with it better because they know they're going to come to a place that makes a difference. And that's not going to wow. happen. Mm -hmm. More people spend more time with people like you to help them understand emotional intelligence is only the beginning of it. I it's only the beginning for all of us, really. Yeah. I you know, we're, all, we're all growing and changing. And I, I tell yeah. you, um, you know, I, I think if we stay open and we continue to want to learn from each other and we do these kinds of conversations, you know, and, and uh, I'm, I'm so well, I mean, I welcome any, any calls anybody would have, you know, like, how do I, you know, utilize these things in my leadership, you know, the first thing I'll tell them is, you know, got to, you got to build it in yourself and yeah. you got to walk that walk. And, you know, the minute you say that you would not believe the kinds of struggles you might have because you need to grow in certain areas and That's face funny, those yeah. struggles appropriately, you know, say to yourself, okay, this is my opportunity to grow this is my opportunity to get out of my comfort zone. Not easy for me either. I mean, um, you know, I'm looking at, you know, travel to India this year and, you know, all the stuff, you know, that, that goes on. But uh, mm. we live in a world right now where the opportunities have never been better to, to grow and develop yourself. You don't have to travel places to do it. You, you can grow and develop right where you're at. And, you know, you talked about like people you can talk to and, you know, ways that you can get knowledge and stuff. And I find it from the most simple people all around me every day that yeah. they're not, they're not Branson and they're not, you know, um, Tesla guy, you know, yeah, yeah, they're, just, yeah, yeah. they're just, you know, great people that, you know, are great to, in their community. And uh, I've been inspired by those people. So uh, let, well, you know, let, I will, I would love to have um, anyone reach out to me and I talk to them and, you know, we, we, we learn this way. Okay. So now I invited you to do that at the start. It's in the description. But yeah. tell us again your best email address. Uh, Virginia at V Berchet, V as in Victor, B U R C H E T T, consulting.com. They can do that. Okay. Or they can just go to the website, Virginia Berchet Consulting, and they can drop me a line there. Okay. Um, and, and on LinkedIn, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, so they can just send, shoot me a message through there. Yeah, that's, that would be perfect. I mean, either yeah. way, any questions? Like I said, we know you're busy. And as time goes I'm on. Not, I'm not too busy. I'm not too busy, though, you know? Yeah, but to help. And uh, <laughs> who knows? I mean, with your, with your clients base, you're probably pretty busy. So but we definitely, definitely appreciate you taking the time uh, to do this with me. I mean, you didn't have to. But I think the message is out there strong. It's out there strong. So my favorite thing to do on these podcasts is to say, I'm done talking. What's your final last message? And I'll, when you've done, we've, we've concluded. So what's, your, what's the last message you want everybody to hear about going beyond emotional intelligence? Well, I think I would say if you want to lead, then serve. And if you want to serve, then you should lead. So cultivate these things in yourself so that you can be the best you can be and bring that to other people. And that's going to help your colleagues, it's going to help your community, it's going to help the world that, uh, that you're serving. That would be what I would recommend. Fantastic. Have a good afternoon. Thanks. Or okay. a good day. Okay. Thank you very much. Hi, Glenn.
and 